Okay, so I'm going to have to. <laughs> I, I do think this needs to be a visual medium now, though, as well. This, this, this absolutely has to be on YouTube because that that visual of him putting his iPad up to the, the computer to play sound was, was priceless. <laughs> I, so to, to start, I, I love the new backdrop, Jeff. Looks great. Uh, I, it's, it's how it's always looked. It's just a new angle. I, uh, I'm running this off my, uh, recently, um, acquired MacBook instead of off my, um, desktop. So, um, we, you know, um, it's just a different angle. Same same books, same picture of U.S. Grant after when was that Cold Harbor, I think. Lick them tomorrow though. So um, we're at at two two out of three of us think that we should just ease into this the way I ease into a warm bath. Careful. To not send a tsunami over the side, over Mrs. Winger's uh, bath rug. Um, howdy. This is the Managing Expectations podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. With me, as always, is the aide-de-camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. And also, nephew, Polly Fingers. Howdy, Paul. Howdy, cool Uncle Jeff. Okay. So I think that our listening audience uh, deserves an explanation. We've been on hiatus. We went abruptly and with uh, without any notice. Uh, I know some of you have been watching for us. We appreciate it very, very much. So uh, to explain the situation, um, just in a nutshell, uh, there's a new Jimmy Smith's vehicle on CBS East New York. Brian, tell us about the show. Oh, it is so amazing. And, you know, Jimmy is just really doing a great job. He has really captured the spirit of this role. And, uh, man, <laughs> not since David Caruso in uh, CSI Las Vegas have I been so uh, enthralled by a character on primetime television so have you seen a single episode i have not because it's opposite <laughs> so so really uh so it's on sunday nights after uh you got uh, cbs football then you got uh, 60 minutes the equalizer with queen latifah and then you've got east new york with uh, an ensemble cast, but uh, Jimmy Smith is at the top of it. Um, so really, they're just hanging on, hoping that they can get past football season when they're not against Sunday night football, I got to think. Yeah, probably. But I tell you what, they keep putting the Broncos on in primetime. East New York is going to do pretty well. Oh, it's it's tough. Uh, 
that America's team isn't doing better. Yeah, that's too bad. The the Denver Broncos. Paul, you actually you 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 were a Cowboy fan before you came to Dallas. Yep. Yep, since the the 09 season when they lost to the Vikings in the wild card round, Brett Favre's Minnesota Vikings, which was someone brand new to the sport. I didn't realize how weird that looked, but uh, yep. So uh, I feel I understand the pain of what it means to be a Cowboys fan. The uh, the constant hope and dejection that comes every December January time. So I don't want to I don't want to just talk about sports, but I'll tell you what Tony Romo is a really good analyst. I mean, he he's interesting. He explains stuff. I mean, he's good. Yeah, I think he's one of the top paid analysts now. Even maybe Troy Aikman, I think, are up there as like some of the highest paid, and he does a great job. One of the things I like about him is how he's sort of explains what's what's coming up. You know, you can see it coming, his experience as a, as a quarterback. Right. Which is interesting because I, I was not such a Tony Romo fan when he was playing the game. Yep. Um, he, you know, he, he seemed like not quite Danny White level, you know, um, not, not, you know, I, and I don't know if he if he just made mistakes while he was in the moment or if he was if he, you know, I mean, look, it's perfectly possible that he might just have the bones of a normal human being. And so we can't have guys like like 340 pound guys pick you up and fall on you. And and not break a collarbone. Yep. Okay. That's it. okay. Yeah. Yeah, Tony Tony Romo makes like seventeen million dollars a year on CBS, and I don't think that he made that that much money playing football. So I think I think you're right. I think that was a statistic. His contract good. latest contract with CBS was bigger than anything he got at the Cowboys. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, in terms of like his annual salary. What is a mess going on in Washington? You guys following that at all? Okay, so like the owner, I mean, the owner of the Redskins, uh, you know, has always been a terrible owner because commanders, the Washington franchise, Washington franchise, which is called the commanders and not that other. It, it used to be called something else for like 55 years. I don't know. No, for longer, 60 years. Sorry, memory. Lapse. So. Uh, the Washington franchise uh, has this owner, Dan Snyder, and he's terrible because he's he's intrusive and he's the kind of owner of a sports franchise that fans hate because he's OK putting out a mediocre product, which is to say not a competitive team uh, as long as they make money. It turns out that he was a creep off camera, too, or a creep behind the scenes. And so he... <laughs> made it hard for uh you know women and others so now you know now the feds are involved now it's like you know and, and there's people suing the washington commander football club and the nfl roger goodell has been named as a plaintiff and um or as a is that right named as a defendant 
as a defendant. Thank you. Yeah. Did you learn that on Bluff City Law? Yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, anyway, I, so so uh, football's actually been decent at times. Um, did, you know that that Chiefs, um, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, who, who who did they play? It was Tennessee. Tennessee. Tennessee looks. I mean, man, Tennessee looks good. They got a very very good coach. I think. Uh... Yeah, they're an interesting one because I don't think they've necessarily got the all-star personnel that a lot of teams do, but every season, no matter what, they're competitive. They they really play hard every, all the time. You can see yeah. it. He's got players playing well above probably what they would do at other clubs. Well, when they played the Chiefs a week or two ago, it was uh, – they didn't even have their starting quarterback. They had this backup. He's doing like amazing uh, the, the rookie. Yeah, the rookie. Yeah, he, uh, he looked really good. Yeah. Okay, if I sit back, can you guys still hear me? The reason yep. I'm sitting back isn't because of the insouciance. Um, just the just the suave uh demeanor that I bring to it's it's the relaxed atmosphere that we promote here at the Managing Expectations uh, podcast. Correct. That's why we never prepare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, so um, so I recently had knee surgery, and it's for this reason that I've been a little bit out of pocket lately. And uh, uh, I'm doing I'm doing fine, doing better. Um, does it hurt? It does. It does hurt, but mostly it's uncomfortable. So like right now, I've got it iced, and I have it elevated, not above my heart, but I've got it like straight out. So uh, the pain's manageable, and I'm getting my range of motion back. You got to remember, I wasn't exactly Spider-Man before before I went under the knife, um, you know. And I'm 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 feeling okay now. So is this is this your second knee surgery? Um, no, it's I've had more than that. Oh, so I had I had like. Over 20 years ago, I had ACL. Okay, so I, I wrecked it in as a teenager, uh, playing, um, horsing around at a. I was at a party, uh, where some pa the parents were out of, away, so it was unsupervised. I'm I'm saying all this to acknowledge my own guilt in the matter. I mean, it's not like. It's not like I even have a great story. Like I got thrown off a bull and then stomped on. I was just horsing around at a party and uh, jumped up off a hill and came down on the inside of my leg and um, tore it up. And, it, and in whatever that would have been, probably 81, 82. No, I mean, they didn't really know what to do about AC, uh, the ACL is the uh, ligament that runs through the center of your knee brian were you were you saluting you've got your anterior and you've got your uh interior and uh sometimes i act like a posterior <laughs> so um it, it the acl runs through the center so so i damaged it and then i kept damaging it 
as as a as a young man and into adulthood, you know, playing playing basketball, just pick up games, you know, playing football in the park, you know, I would invariably, you know, I'd wrap it, try to keep it in place. Um, but you know, it, it frequently went out. And what I was really doing was just like shredding my ACL. So by the time I actually saw uh an orthopedic surgeon, a very, very talented guy named Joseph Berman. Um, in Arlington, Texas, as a matter of fact, uh, he, he's like, he says, yeah, you don't have an ACL left anymore. And and he said, and, and to be fair to everybody that's ever seen you before, um, you know, it's, I mean, they didn't really know what to do. And so, so, uh, Brian, you will, will, will remember Danny Manning who played for the university of Kansas and then went to the LA Clippers. Where did he, uh, tear his ACL uh was that when he was still at Kansas or was that when he was in the pros oh boy I I think that it's I'm probably wrong but I thought that he like did it like his final year at, at Kansas and he was still and he was still drafted very high because he was that good I think that's right I think that's right and um and so uh with with that much money on it they figured out started figuring out what to do. So that would have been like the late eighties, early nineties. So I'd already had the better part of a decade tearing it up. But anyway, I mean, you know, the way I lived my life in the nineties, you know, we didn't have like a bunch of insurance and and the opportunity to do anything. Nobody ever said, I never went to a doctor who said, you know what, you should talk to an orthopedic surgeon. And actually, if I may, fellas, if we go all the way back to that fateful fall evening in 81 or 82 i mean i ended up going to the emergency room which was like before i mean going to the emergency room was a pretty big deal but it's like not the big deal it is now like unless unless you've got like a limb dangling from a from a cord they want you to suck it up until monday because the emergency room is so much more expensive but like my my folks never you know i just I mean, I don't, I, I, maybe I was secretive, but maybe also they never like asked, like, what were you doing? You idiot to tear up your knee. And, uh, you know, we, we should get you to see a specialist. I don't know. I mean, I'm not blaming the folks, but, uh, honestly, uh, if I look back with an unjaundiced eye, doesn't seem like a high water mark in, in parenting. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I want to know. Uh, just quick correction: Danny Manning played 26 games for the Clippers before he tore his ACL. So, okay, there you go. Okay. But it, it was yeah, still early, very, very early in his career, and was never quite the same after that. No, though he was, he wasn't terrible. But wasn't terrible. No, played had a 14 year career, so which is which is pretty good. Yeah, and I think that if you tear your ACL, like in football, it's it's uh, not career ending, but it's um, season ending. I mean, it's something you don't pop right back from. So fast forward to like 2000 or 2001, and I had ACL reconstruction. It's really funny because I remember sitting there in Berman's office, and he says, "You know, if you know if if things go on, you know, you're probably going to need." knee replacement in 20, 25 years. Um, anyway, um, see, I, uh, the next year I had, uh, the meniscus, 
uh, I, I got scoped arthroscopy, right? They went in with a little thing and zip, zip. And, but when I went, went in just over a month ago, my, my knee was nothing but arthritic bone on arthritic bone and scar tissue. So Berman's ACL, that bionic ACL was still in there, but it was running out of room to move because there's so much stuff. I think this is boring. So uh, listeners, if you're still hanging on, thanks. I, we're going to move into something important in a second here, but uh, the fellas seem to want to. Much more interesting is my near-death experience since rehabbing. And that was, so Mrs. Winger has been busy and she's been working a lot. And so, you know, I'm not a child. So she hasn't been, you know, preparing my dinners in advance. And, you know, you have this, you know, you can heat this up and it'll be fine. So kind of on my own. Okay. So there's like almost a quart of vanilla yogurt in, in, in the, in the refrigerator and like I hadn't eaten all day. And so I open it. And I, I don't ever know when stuff gets brought home. <laughs> so I opened it and I looked for mold. There was no mold. So it must be good. Right. So it's <laughs> off brand. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. I, just, I was just chuckling. Yeah. No mold. It must be good. Well, do you, do you look at, all right, before you eat out of your refrigerator, do you check the expiration dates? I don't, not always, personally. Brian? Um, so uh, I've kind of got like maybe just like a, a rolling count of what's in the fridge. And uh, if, if something's been in there a little bit too long, um, I'm going to proceed with a little bit of caution. I mean, just, just based on you being in there on a regular basis and yeah, taking a, a, just a, just a visual scan, just an inventory of what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a pretty good idea is, is what's, what's in there, how long it's, how long it's been in there. If something's pushed in the way back and it's something that would have an expiration date, there's no way. I'm I'm going to crack that thing open without, uh, you know, maybe just having a spotter. <laughs> does this, does this taste, is this bad? Is this, is this any good? Smell this. That's, what do you think? That's when kids come in handy. Yeah. <laughs> Both of Brian's kids are slender. So they're teenagers. He's got a teenage boy. You'd think he'd be helping out. But... <laughs> Since his dream is Broadway. <laughs> that is not true. He's working really hard to keep the weight off. It's not Broadway. I said ballet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, people say, well, didn't it taste bad? Well, let me tell you, Haas, I put chocolate syrup in it. And... Um, Anyway, look, I don't want I don't want to belabor the point. I don't want to talk in detail in the scatological detail about everything that's involved. Uh, 
in eating entirely an unreasonable quantity of of expired yogurt but i i did you just say did you just say scat scatological (laughs) oh okay yeah uh yeah brian scatter because because the guy that you're ringing and ripping at when you're when you're 24 i wasn't 24 (laughs) 17 still too old still too old and say i was proud of it should have been should have been stealing beer by that age so uh um yeah so it was it 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 almost killed me Uh, i was just going to say that uh uh yogurt is halfway to biohazard when it's fresh and um when i finally uh rose from the crypt and entered into the uh kitchen i went through the recycling and um the yogurt had expired about two months previously (laughs) not good not good jerry seinfeld has has a bit about uh, like how do they know that that's the date you know like like does does the cow like turn around and tell them october 3rd (laughs) <laughs> like how do that like how do they know and then he says and then you also gotta love like how it's like on the label like with a branding iron like just seared into the milk carton <laughs> the date well i'm gonna take it seriously from now on yeah as you should. thinks that she's gonna get a lot of help with those leftovers she's she's got another thing coming yeah Tell tell the story about when was it Horatio um got into some boric acid or something? Okay, so we had two dogs when we lived in Fort Worth, um, Hugo and Horatio. And um, you know, it's summertime in Texas, and it's it's my experience that even clean homes will get the occasional cockroach you'll get a la cucaracha it's just the cost of doing business here in the lone star state because you know it's it's hot and um there's a lot of a lot of living things here in texas so um julian had made these roach balls uh which is like like a I don't know. It's poison. It's like roach poison in a thing. And like, you know, you put them like between the refrigerator and the counter and, you know, under the stove and stuff. So anyway, somehow, you know, the, the boys stayed outside, they were outside dogs. And, um, nevertheless, they got inside and Horatio gobbles up one of those, um, one of those roach balls. It's like, God, it was like horrible. So, um, you know, we, you know, we're trying to figure out what to do. So like we call the, if ingested, call the poison hotline. So Julene's on the phone with a woman and she says, well, like how old was it? And Julene tells her and she says, well, it's probably not effective anymore because it's so old, but here's what you need to do. Get some hydrogen peroxide and mix it with something out of your refrigerator, which is going to make, which the dog will eat. 
and the hydrogen peroxide is going to make the dog throw up. And that's what you do. So she gets a, a bowl of macaroni. It wasn't, it hadn't been cheesed up or anything. It was just the pasta. She's mixing, she mixes it with uh, hydrogen peroxide. And um, so Horatio scarfs it down. And then it, it was like a cartoon in how quickly it took effect and the size that my dog swelled up. Okay. So it's like, it was like the cartoon where like, like, like the cartoon character will like eat something and then they will be like, they kind of like wince and cringe and then boink. And then they're like twice the size. And then it's like, Boink, and then so so Horatio's belly, like boinked, filled out, boinked, got <laughs> huge, and then boink was. I mean, the dog w- looked like it, like like a, a float in the Macy's parade. Okay, <laughs> it was unbelievable. So the poor guy just like blew, just emptied. Empty, emptied all cylinders and uh just threw up and uh lived to tell the tale he was a very good boy yeah. that yeah yeah stupid stupid stories anyway i'm feeling better pain's fine range of motion i've actually i'm on i've if i may i've seldom taken so little pain medicine look at you I know. I know. I'm just, I'm doing amazing, sweetie. Yeah. <laughs> what do you guys have? Uh, so this is, this is football related, but I thought that it could, it could kind of talk about uh, somebody getting hired for somebody that for an important job in which they are not at all qualified for. Come on. Nobody wants to talk about the Denver coach. <laughs> <laughs> or, the De- or the Denver quarterback. Also that, yeah. There's a lot of coaches that that aren't doing very well. But anyway, what were you going to say, Brian? So, so the Indianapolis Colts fired Frank Reich. Frank Reich was a a pretty good backup quarterback. He, I think, he won a couple of playoff games in Buffalo. Sure, um, dude. He he was the guy who engineered that come from behind against the uh, the Oilers. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, a, a very respectable football career, and he seems like a, a good guy. And you know, players love him, that type of thing. But he was he was fired in Indianapolis. Um, they just so which not. which old white guy got the job instead? So he's not very good. So they hired uh, former Indianapolis Colts center Jeff Saturday. Now Jeff Saturday was a consultant for the team has no coaching experience at all at any level other than he's like an the offensive coach for his son's football team. Okay. Well, did you have high hopes for the Colts this year? No, of course not. Um but but it's you know, it's 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 uh it's hilarious. And uh, it's it's I don't know it's shocking, but Every, everyone's in uproar because old rich white guy hires another white guy who's his friend instead of 
<laughs> okay, okay. So there's a serious thing, and and I mean, look, the the NFL is a pretty closed system, pretty tight fraternity. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but just in general, Brian, I know you have Paul. I don't know your work history as well, but I mean, in hiring and firing you kind of like to hire people that you think you're going to get along with, that you're not going to have tension with. I mean, I tried to hire for intellectual diversity. Okay. So like, um, I liked it if somebody had traveled, I liked it if people had done things, you know, whatever, if they had been in, they'd worked for Greenpeace or been in uh, the Peace Corps. Um, you know, I, I just think that's interesting. It's, it's more than just, you know, I, I walk dogs and then applied here. Um, but when, but, but I always struggled more with promotions. I just had, uh, um, lunch, uh, a woman I used to work with at my previous job. Um, I promoted her. Uh, as my assistant and then when I left the company she she uh became the manager and uh you know it was it was hard saying no to other people who you know could have used the pay bump but she was easily the best choice she was easily the best choice anyway she took a couple big big face t-shirts and um uh big big face poster that was fun Yes. Yeah. Um, what did you look for when you were hiring Brian? Um, when I was when I was in construction, the truth is, is that I just I just needed somebody that was going to show up that day, um, and who kind of halfway knew what they were doing. We needed people so bad. <clears throat> um, you, you bring them in and. Uh, you know, they, they, they call in sick within their first week. Sorry, it's not working out. You know, they're down, they're down the road. Um, yeah. I, you know, I would ask what I felt were insightful interview questions, but my boss is just like, stop wasting your time. Just, just tell them that they're hired and bring them in. And if they can, if they can do the job, great. And, uh, if they, if, if they're terrible, just fire them. Okay. So, um, instructions, uh, a different sort of thing, you know, I mean, now everybody's scared witless of wrongful termination and yeah, you know, paying on unemployment and, and stuff like that. Things did change when I went to go work at my corporate job and I, and of course I didn't, wasn't hiring anybody. I wasn't, didn't have that kind of you know, middle management position. But when I interviewed, I interviewed with like the head of HR first. Um, and then I was brought in and I interviewed with like the, uh, the general manager of our division and then my immediate boss and then somebody who was kind of adjacent to our division or to, to my immediate boss. Um, and uh, it was just a, a totally different experience. Obviously, more corporate, so there was a lot of other hoops you had to jump through, and and um, 
some interesting questions you had to answer, but, but she, she had asked me this question. She was like, okay, so this is 2010. A uh, construction had just taken a dive. Uh, the housing market was like the, it's the worst it's ever been for most of us that we can ever remember. And, and like, she's like, okay, so Eris was the name of the company. She's like, so why do you want to work for Eris? Why Eris? I'm like, uh, because you guys are hiring. I don't know. Like, because, because I am looking for a job. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. That's a good point. Um, uh, keep talking amongst yourselves. I have a, a really cool thing, uh, from David Halberstam's the fifties. Uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Brian, because we're sort of having a, a discussion at work the other week because we're currently really doing our forecasting and stuff for 2023, and we're trying to work out, you know, okay, you know, one of the key discussions is retention of people. And to be fair, the company does a whole bunch of different things. They had a pumpkin carving contest in, in the last month in which third place prize was a $200 gift card Second place prize was tickets to the Dallas Mavericks. Um, first place prize was tickets to the Cowboys. And they talk, talk about all this culture and stuff. And at the end of the day, someone pipes up and says, well, what do people really want? We're giving them all this stuff and yet we can't retain staff. It's like money. <laughs> <laughs> people want money. And if you're you're only paying people you know, who work on a shop floor $12 an hour, but they can get 15 going to Amazon, then they're going to go to Amazon. Um it, it makes me laugh all the time that these companies are like trying to sell you on culture and yet the companies that people want to go to are either going to offer you more money, more flexibility or things like vacation stuff or I guess over here benefits as well, right? And things like who gives you the best health insurance for you and your family make, it plays a big part in consideration. Yeah. I think I think entry level uh, culture is great if you can get it, but you'll go where you can make the most money. I mean, just just to keep beans on the table. We, we, uh, there was, there was one, one time where we were having a big push to have, um, like break, break a record for a quarter. And, um, everybody was really jazzed about this, but it turns out the reason why there was this big push for the quarter is because we were up for sale. Our division was, was up for sale. And so we wanted to make our numbers look really good. And so, uh, there was a huge push. We smashed through the goal and did really well. And people worked hard. We won, you know, one business. We were shipping product. Things were going great. And to say thank you, we had a pizza party. <laughs> it was like it was like we had done like another fifty million dollars in revenue than uh, than than we had done like the previous best quarter. And uh, and and we got a pizza party. And the thing is, that's not even something that's uniquely American either. This is like I've I've seen this in Europe as well. I think it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's like oh, well done, guys. You did you did amazing, and you know the big bosses are going to get five six figure bonuses now as a result. So yeah, here's your uh, dominoes as a as our gratitude. <laughs> oh, and by the way, there's a there's a pay freeze next year. <laughs> and, and, and on top of that, though, I shouldn't just say we just got a pizza party. We also got like a branded uh, nylon tote bag with a uh, branded water bottle and an apple 
inside of it. <laughs> Do you still have the apple? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you would have gotten the exact same party and and swag if you worked for uh, Barnes and Noble or Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's deplorable. So here's what I found. Okay. So in his history, the 50s, about unsurprisingly, the 1950s, uh, David Halberstam, uh, the author of, uh, I mean, he made his bones in Vietnam, uh, covering the war in the early 60s. Um, I've talked about him before on the show. So one of the things that he writes about in the 50s is being, I I, th I think he uses the book, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, as emblematic of the spiritual malaise of the middle class. Um, materially, they were doing well, but inside they weren't doing as well. It was actually made into a really good movie with uh, 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 Gregory Peck. I like I like Greg Peck. He, was, he, he had some game. He, he was good in stuff other than To Kill a Mockingbird, which is the one that everybody saw. So uh, Sloan Wilson. Um, uh, he releases uh, The Man in the gray flannel shirt so uh, the character is uh tom rath and uh he applies for a job as um i think in the uh public relations department of the united broadcasting company says uh, naturally he applied for the job the last question on the application was intriguing the most significant thing about me is dot 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 ellipsis right for a moment he thought of writing about his wartime stint as a paratrooper Right, because all those GIs came back from World War II, during which time he killed 17 men. For four and a half years, my profession was jumping out of airplanes with a gun, and now I want to go into public relations, he wanted to write. <laughs> he pondered it, though. He could also have written, the most, significant, the most significant fact about me is that I detest the United Broadcasting Corporation with all its soap operas, commercials, and yammering studio audiences. And the only reason I'm willing to spend my life in such a ridiculous enterprise is that I want to buy a more expensive house and a better brand of gin. <laughs> so th I thought that was good. Yeah. And, and then thereby hangs the tail. Anyway, salaries went up, but uh, there was something, something going on. And we've talked about that before, you know, I mean, I think the, uh, the television show Mad Men showed it um, almost three years ago. I, I watched that movie um, that was adapt, ad adapted from a John Cheever short story called The Swimmer with Burt Lancaster about a guy who was, was uh, swimming in every swimming pool in his old neighborhood, which was like really like landed like estates, but what we might call estates in Connecticut, where like the rich New Yorkers lived and then traveled into the city. So um, there was also 
I never saw the movie, but I'm familiar with the uh, author. Richard Yates wrote uh, Revolutionary Road. It was a movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. And then the big ship sank. It was awesome. There's a lot of people who say that she could have let him on the door. I don't know. I don't know. I know. Anyway, I never saw Revolutionary Road. But it's like that. It's like, you know, just like the, but I mean, you know, look, um, okay. Okay. So I'm doing physical therapy today. Uh, you guys are going to like this. So at the end of the massage and the exercises and the machines, they put me in a room and they use a thing called the Russian stem. You can imagine I'm already not liking the sound of it. Okay. Sounds problematic. <laughs> so they put it it's it's an electric thing and they put one on the side of my knee and one on my quadriceps and they run voltage through it to activate the muscles without working the muscles so i'm supposed to like push my knee down when it's when it's going and um the one on the side of the knee uh, moves the patella north and south and the one in the quadriceps shakes it, you know, sh shakes it loose. Um, and, and the idea is to avoid. Okay. So like your muscles atrophy because you can't move, but then you can't move because your muscles have atrophied. So it's, it's trying to get, and so apparently the Russians started using this ahead of the 1980 Olympics and, um, and, and the, and these folks uh, use it uh, today. Well, the guy who did it is ethnic Hungarian. So he actually likes communist communism. Let me say communism less than I do. And, uh, he was an interesting cat because he uh, he's, he's ethnic Hungarian, but he's like he had a Romanian passport. And the deal was Transylvania. Yes, that Transylvania had a huge Hungarian population. And then after World War Two and uh, falling behind the Iron Curtain, uh, Transylvania was divvied up as part of Romania the two world wars and in the cold war. So he grew up under Ceausescu, who was the dictator of Romania, bad guy, bad guy. Now yeah. he wasn't talking about like people getting disappeared though. That's exactly what happened. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, Romania is about the size of Connecticut. I think, um, no, Romania is bigger. Hungary is about the size of Connecticut and Romania is st still ain't big. Not by American standpoints, boys. So, uh, I mean, they don't have a gulag to send you to. They just they just take you into a field and put a couple in your head, mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, what he was talking about, and he wasn't like doing a whole, he wasn't like doing a thing. Like, you know, I mean, obviously I I have, I mean, the very fact that I know who Ceausescu was impressed the guy. The fact that I know that... Uh, Hungarian shares 600 words with the Finnish language, for example. Uh, he's like, yes, that's right. You know, and, uh, you know, so, so, I mean, so he's not, 
he's got doesn't have anything to prove to me. He was just talking about the rationing that took place. And so he's like, you know, it's like in, in their household, they got like, what did he say? Like three and a half pounds of sugar a month and this much flour and this much salt. And he says that, you know, and I'm kind of thinking to myself, that actually sounds like a lot of sugar. I don't think we go through that much sugar a month. But in the 1980s in Romania, well, yeah, in Romania, you cooked everything, right? You baked, you baked. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just go to the store and get whatever bread or cake or whatever. So, so there was like this incredible scarcity. I think you contrast the unnecessary oppressive scarcity of the communist system with the, you know, the spiritual wasteland of the American middle class. I mean, you got rocks in your heads. If you don't take a look, you can search for the truth, you know, from your station wagon, if you want. Um, I, I just don't know that the, the lives of the poor, the desperately poor all around the world then and now, um, I, I don't think that being poor allows them to necessarily have a richer interior life. In fact, I think it can make them mad or sad because they know they're poor, you know, because they get TV. It's a heck of a thing. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. All right. Uh, we were going to talk about another aspect of material abundance. And I want to hear you guys about this. I told Brian, so I had a, all right. So I have a situation. Uh, the stationary bike that I'm using to in improve my range of motion and strengthen my uh, legs after the surgery uh, has got a loose pedal. The pedal is loose. So I just need, I need something to tighten it up. So I venture out into the garage and can I find the right socket? Can I find the right crescent wrench? I cannot. I have more tools than entire villages in the developing world and I can't find the right one. So then I use what I always use which is the gigantic plumber's wrench. That's that's the precision <laughs> instrument you want on your bicycle apparatus. Anyway, tightened it up. It lasted for a couple of rotations and then went back to flopping around. It's just, like, God, it's just horrible. I, because, okay, because I'm not a balanced and happy person, <laughs> I, I don't... Uh, I have a tendency to gauge myself as unworthy of oh living <laughs> when I when I screw up putting in a curtain rod or uh, finding the right wrench. But anyway, my point is this: uh, you watch TV, you get these, uh, and, and you see the commercials. Uh, you 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 know you get your email from Home Depot telling you what's on sale, what's going on. And among all the cool stuff that they're selling you, they're trying to sell you organizers for all your cool stuff. And so I put to the two of you, please, how much is too much? 
Paul, you're a new homeowner. Too too much stuff or too much organizing? I don't know. How do you? How are you doing? This? <laughs> you know where everything is? Uh, currently, yes. Um, but I think I'm a I'm at an advantage to other people because we arrived in the U.S. with suitcases, you know, four or five suitcases of stuff just 18 months ago. And thankfully, we've not over-accumulated yet, despite my uh, in-law's best attempts. Um, we've managed to uh, to keep it all pretty clean and tidy so far. So, yes, I know where... You, you're I talking can... about Mrs. Winger's brother and his wife. Yes, yes. Yeah. Regularly get asked, do you want this? Can I give you this? I think this would look great. Like, no, thank you. Um, so it's it's interesting, isn't it? When you you bring two different styles together. So I'm very much of a minimalist, very, like bare minimum. Um, and Kayan, my wife is not the the current Mrs. Southern is not. So she <laughs> that. excuse me, it was that the current Mrs. Southern. <laughs> you know, nephew, you can be replaced. <laughs> The current Mrs. Southern. Yeah, and I thought it was bad form when I introduced Mrs. Grimm as my first wife. <laughs> it was. Yeah. This is also horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but we do seem to have an accumulation of what they call bins, and this is why I keep getting given. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those plastic bins. Yeah. Oh, no, those are the cloth ones. Which you're supposed to like be able to like slide into a cubicle shelving unit. Yes. That way you have yeah, all your crap in a in one of those cloth. So I don't Yeah, so I don't, I don't have one of the uh, I didn't get roped into buying one of the cubicle shelving units. Um but it does live on the shelf that I have in my office. So uh, yeah, basically, apparently my 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 crap is not good enough to be out on display, so it needs to be hidden in a box. So that's where that's where it lives. <laughs> what what about your garage? I mean, the stuff you need. Yeah, so that's I mean, in there at the moment is yard equipment and tools, and we have a little, I have one little shelving unit which has all of the, the tools on. So that's it. So yeah, the, the garage at the moment is generally pretty pretty clean, except for various bits of junk, which needs to get taken out, thrown away. So yeah, at the moment I could, st I could still put, I could still get two vehicles in my garage if I wanted to. Really? Mm. You know, it was a great, it was always a great source of pride for me in Kansas city. We, we had both vehicles in the garage. <laughs> and uh ha, ha, that's gotten away from me i mean it's it's a goal but i don't i don't know yeah. uh, now brian when i it's been it's been several years but when i went through your garage and found that gift i'd given you you know just thrown on top of your you know your refrigerator your garage refrigerator <laughs> the, the gift that's right peter benchley's the beast because you're a big Peter Benchley fan. I, I am. However, I'm not a big DVD fan. <laughs> okay. 
usually you got to find somebody a little younger than you to be such a a streaming snob yeah <laughs> uh so my i've got i've got tools from when i was in construction i've got um i've also got you know 25 years of being married stuff and then i've also got uh kid stuff i mean sarah is not especially sentimental when it comes to kid stuff but there's a couple of things that we've held on to of theirs that that we have but we also have you know sporting goods and uh skis and snowboards for the whole family skis and snowboards a couple paddle boards uh inflatable canoe um and um and then you know things of family members that were holding at this time so so oh, yeah that's it's- taking up most of the space in my garage <laughs> stuff being held on to for the family members <laughs> yeah okay so i know half of paul's family members and i don't really want to talk about this <laughs> um my my question, Brian, would be if you needed a wrench, would you be able to get your hands on the wrench you wanted? I could. I could. I, I have an idea where my tools are at, but I, I would prefer them to be better organized than they are right now. Um, I can tell you when I was a kid, I would was would work on my skateboard or I would try to build a skateboard ramp. And so I'd just get into my dad's tools and just like have them all over the place. And then when he needed to work on something in the house. Uh, he couldn't find what he needed and he would lose his mind. <laughs> and when I say lose his mind, he'd say, put my tools away. And then he'd stomp off. <laughs> Man, they just don't make repressed Americans like that anymore. No, they don't. No, no. It, it, it's amazing that he held it all. Now dads go off like Quentin Tarantino characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable that he held on as long as he did. Yeah. No, I know how my old man was. I mean, look, I, you know, again, I mean, um, I mean, I don't have a practical or sensible bone in my body. So every time I grabbed a tool, it was, it was like an act of imagination, you know? So like, I remember, I remember, um, um, I, I grabbed, there was like a string hanging down and like, I, I wanted to cut it. I didn't know how to cut it or any, you know, like it never occurred to me to use a knife, I guess. I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was and, um, I don't know, like nine, maybe eight, nine maybe 10, but uh, seriously, I mean, even like Boy Scout stuff, it was all just fodder for a comic book fueled imagination. You know, I mean, I'm thinking in terms of Daniel Boone, not actually living off, like not actually living in a tent. That's obviously cold, horrible. No. So, so uh, there's a string. So I grab, I grabbed uh, a chisel, the old man had, and, and, and like, I, I take the chisel and a hammer and I go over and I use, I like hit, hit the string with the chisel into the brick wall. And dad yells at me, totally yelled at me. So I'm, I'm being a baby and I'm crying. 
my mom's like, what's going on out here? And he's like, there's a, there's a, and she's like, you yelled at him. And he's like, those are brand new chisels. I mean, so there was, it, it, it kind of bums me out to think that like nobody ever actually wanted to show me what a chisel does. I had to figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't bang it into a, a brick wall. <laughs> that reminds me of poetry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys ever bought any of those organizers? Like tool organizers? Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you know how some guys will like have them up on, uh, what, what do they call that? The, Pe uh, the peg, pegboard? Pegboard, yeah. You do that? I, I don't. My, my dad had everything like perfect. My uh, friend Vic Ledesma has got a garage that I swear to you, he could take my pancreas out in this garage it's so immaculate he knows where everything is it's cleaner than my office it's cleaner than my bathroom that is cool though i mean there really is something that's like impressive about that and not just uh there's a, a peace of mind that comes from knowing exactly where everything is and and where where it goes and that it'll it'll be there when you need it um I, I think what's impressive to me is those who managed to keep it that way as well. Right. And that's, that's, a, that's the thing is like, as soon as I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to deal with something and I get something fixed, but then I'm running late for the next thing. And so it's just, I just throw it into my tool bag. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, and then you get into like, maybe this is just me and not guys like my friend Vic or Steve uh, Pritchett, but uh you know, you get into this whole, the whole philosophical concept of entropy and how everything ultimately always breaks down. Everything goes back to the earth. The jungle always wins. Right. And um, so it's like, what's the point? Just what's the point of anything? You know, I mean, if, if, if I start thinking about these things and I can barely get out of bed in the morning, but the author Robert Kaplan in his book, Imperial Grunts, talking about, um, well, what's the subtitle? The American Military on the Ground. And um, uh, he's a, a, a very good author, and he was embedded with special forces in the early aughts. And he describes a non-commissioned officer. So my friend Vic... Um, is a former Marine. Uh, he wasn't, in fact, a sergeant. But see, I some people think, some people look at my friend Vic and they think, oh, he was made by the Marines. And that I don't think that's true. I think it was a, I think it was a serendipitous fit because he thinks like this. Um, so uh, Kaplan writing about... Um, uh, you know, these, the military advisors who were directing things as uh, uh, maintenance, talking about maintenance, he, he calls it a dull, unpleasant, yet necessary task is an indication of discipline, esprit de corps and faith in the future, because you maintain only what you plan to use in the long term. It's totally true. I think, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, the, 
the minute that you save by just throwing something in the pile on the workbench will more than be lost when you got to have the thing next time or you know when you can't find it at all and you have to go to home depot here's a lesson for you homemaker paul uh young young husband and homeowner paul um every time you work on a plumbing project at home depot they've got this big bin of plumber's tape right yeah yeah it's like 99 cents uh, has it gone up? Is it a buck twenty nine or something now? Five dollars. Two two bucks. <laughs> two bucks for everything. So um, you always think, oh, should I get that? Do I know where? You, you know, you have some at home, but you don't really know where. So you're always tempted to get it, and that's how they get you, right? Because yep. you actually need about four cents worth of Teflon tape. Which, by the way, I don't think, I don't know how long that's been around, but I don't remember my old man ever using it on plumbing stuff. Not that I think I was ever involved in him in a plumbing thing, situation. I have seen it used. Rarely, yeah. but I have seen it used, yeah. Amazing. <clears throat> yeah, there's a, uh, like, if you replace, like, a shower head these days, that you don't use Teflon tape just because of the way that the threads are. They're, I think that they're tapered anyway, so it you're better off with without it in there. So at least that's what that somebody true? told me. You don't use it is, anymore? Uh, well, no, I think that you do use it, but there are certain things that you don't that you don't use it on because the way that uh, the fittings are designed now for like a, a shower head, you don't you do not put on the tape. Okay. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in here. So one thing I, I did think of actually that I wanted to bring up, have you seen the um, issues, shall we say, being brought up by Elon Musk's um, great grand plan for Twitter and making everybody pay for verification? Yeah. So there's been a couple, there's been a couple of instances where people have set up very good um looking parody accounts and obviously what pops up is the person's picture and their name first that's all people see i've seen i've well, seen some of that yeah so there's been some innocent ones you know like some people pretending to be some of these nfl insiders and tweeting stuff about nfl players about injuries and stuff and then real nfl journalists have been retweeting that saying oh no this is terrible look at what's happening but did you see what happened to uh eli Lilly, a pharmaceutical company uh some drug was going to be free forever, right? Yep. Insulin is free now and their stocks tanked. <laughs> Not just theirs, but so did uh, two other companies as well. Nova, Norsdick, and Sanofi both tanked their stocks as a result. I think uh, I think Eli Lilly lost a, a billion dollars in uh, uh, the, and their stockholders lost a, a billion dollars in, with that drop. Okay, that's that's not very funny at all. It's not. So, uh, okay, the thing is, okay, so what what are we saying? Are we saying that verification is not real verification anymore? Here's the th here's here, here's the thing. I okay, this is not good. This is not good. But I like Stephen King, 
like got loose about how he wouldn't pay $8 to be verified, Stephen King can, can afford it. If he wants to, if he wants to be the Stephen King on, on Twitter, then he, then he should pony up the, whatever it is, $124, which is less than nothing to this guy. He's one of the wealthiest writers in the world. Uh, on the other hand, you shouldn't let somebody else who's not named. I mean, there's there's bound to be another Steve King out there someplace. Yeah. I mean, then let him be it, you know. Um, <laughs> however, I'm Jeff Winger. I shouldn't get to be Stephen King and and like come up with like. You know, like, OK, I don't know what would be funny if Stephen King, the horror writer was to tell everybody to give their money to Liberty University or um, I'll be appearing on the 700 Club next week. Right. That That's funny, but you wouldn't expect it. it you know, a, it, it has to clearly be a parody. This other thing sounds like market manipulation and very close to fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is the risk that they, that they now run is that you can have a similar issue as you did when, when say, crypto first became a thing, right? That was very much beholden to how people would, would tweet about it. And, you know, that would peaks and drops of the market. But, um, yeah, that's one of the things I'm saying. That's why we have been playing around with this whole blue tick plus a, an official sticker, right, to show whether or not it's the real deal. Um, but, yeah, further to, to Brian's point earlier on, maybe, maybe Elon's grand plan is just to tank Twitter. Maybe that's his uh, his grand plan. Why would you spend $55 million just to drive it into the ground? I mean, he's, he's too smart for that. He's a reckless billionaire. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes he, maybe he's got too much money that, you know, he needs some. he needs a hobby. And that hobby is to uh, to mess with everybody. That's what it feels like if you ever catch any of his tweets. I mean, I he's, th- a, he's yeah. a troll. There's no question about it. But I just don't see wasting that much money. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it serves a purpose. I think if they can write, first of all, bankruptcy just means that they can restructure their debt. That's all it means. Okay. So they can keep, functioning it's going to still be around you know but and 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 the whole verification thing was arbitrary anyway some people got check marks and other people didn't you know i mean some people had like tens of thousands of followers and weren't verified there's a guy i follow uh richard nixon and it's i don't know it's like a, a playwright or somebody back east but he has nixon's voice down coal and so he tweets like it's richard nixon on twitter and it is hilarious and it's often insightful and um like he'll and he'll lose his mind about like nixon is losing his mind about tom brady getting a girl in trouble and then leaving her you know talking about um bridget monahan is that right yep that's it um and, and then, uh, and then, like, uh, so Ron Ziegler was Nixon's press secretary, and then, like, the next tweet in the thread will be the president is resting uh, dash 
RZ for Ron Ziegler is hilarious. I mean, it's really funny, but see, like that guy could never get ver- verified because he's not really Richard Nixon. But I mean, obviously they're, you know, they've, they've let some, they've made some mistakes the last week. The one, the one did you see? So did you see the George W. Bush, Tony Blair ones? Yes. Did you see the Chiquita no. banana ones? No. Chiquita, Chiquita, Chiquita Brands verified account, which is obviously not the Chiquita, but says we've just overthrown the country of Brazil. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're gonna have to. It's a little. It's a little wild west right now. I mean, you know, you just can't give somebody with a credit card and eight dollars. But but here's the thing. I what what is really interesting about this is that I think that it shows the power of Twitter, and that if 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 Elon is able to get this thing figured out, it might be worth double forty four billion, you know, twice as much as he paid for it, because you oh, see sure. the, the you see the power that it has, you see the attention that it gets, the trust that millions of people put into it on what is said on Twitter, and so if if he can get this thing sorted out, which he probably will, he's got some smart people working on it. Um, it'll, it'll certainly be something, but in the meantime, like you said, it is the wild, wild west <laughs> where you have some very creative people, uh, on the other side, you know, watching it burn. Some people just want to watch the world burn. That's right. Ooh. So it's, uh, it's a, it's Friday night in the big town. Uh, what are you guys doing tonight? Well, we know where the Grimm family is going to be Friday night. Dave and Buster's. Yeah. Yeah. No. We've, we, as a family, we're having a hard time getting our schedules aligned for, uh, our typical Friday night out. Uh, cause the kids are work. Uh, one of them's working, one of them's, uh, in school and, um, they they tell you that they're working and in school. I tell you what, we went and saw we went and saw Ella the other day at work for the first time, and she was she was really there. Oh, okay, so that wasn't the time you caught her at the roller rink. <laughs> no. You know what I'm super proud of myself about is they've been 18 for a while, and I still haven't told the story about the Volkswagen, but. Um, uh, and it's, I totally could because let's face it, your kids don't listen to this. Um, here's the thing: is like, just because the clock strikes midnight at one time doesn't mean that the story is suddenly appropriate for my kids. That's not even that is hardly the worst story I have to tell. I know, and I always and I always have a caveat. I mean, you know, look, don't no, you don't want to be you don't want to be like teenage Jeff, like Jack Nichols. Like Jack Nicholson and as good as it gets, don't be like me. Don't you be like me. Well, I actually lived more like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I, I've been I've been watching some episodes of Mad Men again. And uh, it, Brian, you don't want me talking about this? No, you can. Here's the thing. Like I, I, I follow like you do the uh mad men quotes account on twitter uh and uh somebody somebody 
and maybe it was on there, but they 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 posted the scene where um, Roger is desperate for Peggy to work on a campaign for Mohawk because he didn't he forgot to do something. And so she shakes him down for 400 bucks to work all weekend. And um, it, it's, it's just such a, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. I kind of forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot that. And she's, and he, the, the, one of the best lines in it is that, you know, the, the work is $10. The lie is going to cost you more. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so well written. And one of the things that I've noticed is you'll see you'll see like two characters have an argument. So somebody's a super mad, and then the scene changes, and somebody else comes in to one of the people who had just been in an argument. Now, this third character has no idea what's going on. And then like the second character just like jumps down their throat for apparently no reason. Now the viewer sees what's going on but every but but the other guy's like what was that you know um you you got a lot of that certainly in the i watched like the last few episodes of the first season and i'm you know in the first few episodes of the second now and um and you just you know you see and that's kind of how real life is you know stuff will be cooking and you know sometimes it's just it's just like russian roulette you know it's just the next person who says something irritating and you know you go off and it's not about them like i was <laughs> so when when the in when the in home physical therapist you know she was like i mean i had to make it clear i'm not yelling at you <laughs> i'm i'm yelling at my knee i'm yelling at the pain i'm yelling at my life decisions i'm yelling at the universe but not you exactly so please don't yeah think that anyway yeah if you catch a stray it wasn't meant for you yes yeah, this collat. you know there's collateral damage and then you know you you don't want to be a jerk so then you got to like go back and it's just I just wish I was milder like the two of you. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. Gives me, I got some goals. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else going on? No, nothing, nothing else here. Well, so, so it, you and you and the missus aren't going to be making uh just a romantic Dave and Buster's. Maybe something away from the ski ball machines. Yeah, without the kids, I mean, maybe we'll go to Red Lobster tonight. I don't know. We'll see. Did you guys hear that? No. The dog barking. It sounds like a a whistle. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Well, my my sound effects app is obviously needs to be tinkered with. <laughs> okay, well, let's leave it there for now. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of uh, Managing Expectations. This is our goal. We want to we want to come to you 
two times a month. Two times. Bi-monthly. No, bi-monthly is every two months. Bi-weekly. Bi-annual. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bi-curious? What? <laughs> Paul? This is Jeff Winger. And therein, the Managing Expectations podcast run. <laughs> just did like a soprano end where it's just black. <laughs> so I, I I did notice that when Paul doesn't show up, we spend 30 minutes talking about his, uh, Insta- his uh, teenage heartthrob Instagram posts. Like when a dream date with Polly Fingers <laughs> and his little, his adorable dog. We also probably we also probably should have made clear that Paul on the bed with his dachshund was uh, actually him with his pet, and it wasn't some sort of euphemism. <laughs> We're just working on the the calendar. That's all it was. The managing expectations <laughs> calendar. That was uh... <laughs> kind of like how the firefighters put one out every year. Maybe maybe we'll <laughs> we'll do one. <laughs> We'll all do one with our dogs on <laughs> on, a, on a faux fur rug. <laughs> yeah, firefighters, the Pirelli calendar, and then I think that's our, our crowd. I think those are our people. All right, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Managing Expectations podcast. On behalf of Brian and Paul, this is Jeff Winger. Be careful out there. <laughs>